Hebrews chapter 2, please. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the words spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, for all we speak. But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visited him? Thou madest him a little lower than angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Did set him over the works of thy hands. Thus put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, for the suckers of death and crowned glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For I became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect to suffer. For both he that sanctified, and they are who are sanctified, are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name, unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took on him, he took not on him the nature of angel, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful, high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to record them that are tempted. Now, I want to take up uh, what we left off last week with verse 7 and 8, if I can, please, that made him a little more than angels. Here's this statement about the distinction of man. Notice, if you would please, although sin has interrupted God's original intention with the human race, it by no means does away with them. Now, remember that God made man, put him in the garden, and put him ruler over everything. Man was to rule over everything. Now, the probation involved in God's plan for man, man was placed in a perfect environment. Man was also given a specific work to do and a specific trust. Man had all things put under his feet. Man was monarch of all he surveyed. 
Man was to tend and to keep the garden for God. Man was created to stand between the world of the beast and the world of angels. Man is higher than the beast and a little lower than the angels, but only for a probational period. Right now, uh, we do not have the powers of angels. We cannot selectively slay every firstborn creature within the boundaries of a great nation in a single night. We don't have the parties of angels. We cannot appear and disappear at will. We do not have the uh, position of an angel dwelling in eternal light before God's throne. But for all that, man is only a little lower than angels, and that too only for now. The second thing I want you to see is the potential involved in man dominion. Verse 2 says, the last part, that there is nothing that is not put under him. Man cannot imagine the capacity God has given him. It has been said that nobody has ever used more than 2% of his mentality capacity. Think about that. Not even Beethoven or Einstein or any of them. God has endowed man with tremendous potential. Had Adam not sinned, no doubt his authority would have been enlarged. His empire would have been enlarged from the garden to the whole world. From the whole world to eventually the galaxies in the space. Man in Christ will one day come fully in the full potential of his power. The third thing I want you to see is the sovereignty bestowed on mankind revoked. The last part now, verse 8. Notice, that is not put under him. But now we see not all things yet put under him. Now, notice man's noblest achievements go away. There are still diseases man cannot eradicate, deserts he cannot uh, reclaim, and on and on and on. Now, worst of all, man cannot control himself. And the greatest of man discoveries cannot prevent the waging of war. Now, the next thing that I'd like for you to see is found in the sovereignty bestowed on man can revive in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, for the suckers of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Now, notice in all of that we just said about mankind, God gave man the authority of everything, and he put him in position. He lost all of that. Now verse 9 says, But all things are not lost. We have hope. The sovereignty bestowed on man has been gloriously and permanently, uh, effectively revived. Because verse 9 says, We see Jesus. In Jesus, everything is bestowed. In Jesus, God has provided a second man and uh, who is worthy and trust and forfeited by Adam. He can do it. He can rule over everything. Christ's sovereignty will not be merely over a garden or even a world, but over everything that God has ever made. Therefore, our attention here in Hebrews chapter 2 is drawn back to Christ and to his sovereignty as man. The dominion of Adam threw away and has been pitched back to man 
the man Christ Jesus. Notice now Christ suffering as man. In verse 9 down through 10. For verse 10 said, He came in for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now the mercy of God is that God used the man Christ Jesus to restore one of these days everything that God had for mankind to be restored. But that God's eternal Son should be made lower than angels will be an endless theme of astonishment throughout the universe. The positive involved, the position. Christ stepped off the throne of the universe to be limited to the span of a virgin's womb. Therefore, the universe stands in awe at the position that Jesus occupies right now. Now, the purpose is given in verse 9 for the sufferings of death. Now, everybody believes and understands that death is a dreadful thing. And notice who causes death. The Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 2, the devil does. Alright? So dreadful is this fearful expectation. We fear back from it. Death is dreadful in its fatal ex- execution as the body, raked with pain, fights and losing the battle and to survive. Death is dreadful in its final experience, the separation of the body and soul. But for those who reject Christ, the horrors of eternal hell. But Christ Jesus tasted all that for us. Uh, the hardest thing for me to conceive as a Christian that everything that mankind has ever suffered and ever will suffer, Jesus suffered for him on the cross. You name anything you want to that man will ever suffer, and Jesus suffered that on the cross of Calvary. So his suffering was fitting. Verse 10 says, For it became him to made be perfect through suffering. Now, think about this for just a minute. Because Jesus is our priest, knows what human life is all about then. It's a terrible thing to go to, let's say, a judge, and you plead your case. And the judge has lived in a mansion all his life and had everything handed to him, and you're just a poor peasant, and you don't have anything, and you go before him and you say, Have mercy on me, <clears throat> me judge. Well, he don't know what mercy is. He don't understand what you've been through. But we have one that's sitting on the right hand of the Father now in judgment over us, and we can say, have mercy on us, Lord, and He understands us. He understands what we're going through. And He has pity on us. And His joys and sorrows, temptations and trials, He knows all about it. Verse 10, the last part, His sufferings were fruitful. Because of Jesus' suffering, He brings many sons into glory. Now, believers have an astonishing place in God's family. You know what it is? We're sons of God. We belong to God. I, I, I laugh at people that's unsaved, and I talk to them about praying. And, uh, you know, I say, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? No. Uh, but uh, I pray to God all the time. No, you pray to your God. Because your God is the devil. Now that's hard to conceive 
in unsaved people's minds. But it's the truth. Your father's the devil. If you're not saved, your father's the devil. But since we're saved, we've been put in a position as sons of God. Now we can call upon our Father, which is God. Now, uh, they have an an, uh, equally astonishing place in the future. They still will be in glory as saved people. Heaven is going to be ours. It's prepared people. Jesus finished work on God. God prepared the people for glory. Uh, this, this is what happened. See, the book of Romans explains salvation, how you get saved. And the question always comes back, how can a dirty, rotten sinner that's cursed God and men against God, all of a sudden he's made perfect for heaven? How does that take place? Only through the Lord Jesus. And because why? He prepares us for heaven. See, we're not fit for heaven. We're fit for hell. We, we are against God. We sin against God. If we got what we deserve, we go to hell. But Jesus prepared us for heaven in Christ Jesus. And so I'm a, we are a prepared people. Uh, the, his sufferings were fundamental because they made the authority of our salvation perfect. Now, the Lord Jesus did not need to be made perfect morally because He was always morally perfect. Just as the unborn tablets, uh, unbroken tablets of law were placed in the Ark of the Covenant, so did the unbroken law of God reside in Christ Jesus. Remember the tablets that Moses came down with? They put it in the Ark. Unbroken. But Jesus is in God the Father unbroken. Sin can't get to Him. Jesus didn't need... Did, Jesus did need to be made perfect ministerially, though. Jesus' sufferings are the foundation upon which all our present ministry rests. Now, next we come to verse 11. Christ sympathy. I like this. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all the one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And then verse 16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angel, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, or the seed of mankind. Now notice something. It is only one step from Christ's suffering as man to his sympathy as man. Jesus has entered fully into human life, and his heart beats for the sons of men. Three main things here. We're related to Christ. Verse 11 says, For both he that sanctified and they are who are sanctified are all of one. And here's the point. If you're in Christ Jesus, then we're the same as Jesus is. Here's my eternal security, if you want to put it this way. If Jesus can lose his salvation, I can lose mine. But Jesus cannot lose his salvation. And I'm in Christ Jesus. 
So my eternal security rests in the fact that Jesus can't lose his security because he's God. And if I'm in Christ Jesus, I can't lose mine either then. I'm saved by Jesus, by his life. Now this truth is stated first in terms of sanctification. God does not have to be ashamed of us. Now, you ever have one of your children that does something wrong and you just uh, you're ashamed of what they've done? Now, any of us have children, you know that's the truth. And uh, we just we wish they'd be perfect. We wish they'd do everything just right, but they're not going to. Amen. And and you're, you're sometimes you just ashamed. Yeah, you want them to do everything perfect. Well, uh, the wonderful truth about it. Think about what we've done as God made man, and we belong to God because He made us, and He's ashamed of what we've done, but listen to what He said. God doesn't look at us anymore. Therefore, we are perfect in Christ. The greatest truth that's been ever told is God does not look at me anymore. He looks at me through the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've become perfect in Christ. That's a beautiful picture. So as far as our state is concerned, there's a great deal we need to be ashamed of. But as far as our standing is concerned, it's perfect. It's perfect. That the magnificence of Christ's work, that He can bring us in the presence of angels, under the presence of God the Father Himself, and say, These are my brothers. Think about that just for a minute. You go through the Bibles and you read the magnificence of angels. And God made them. And then you think of God Himself and the Lord Jesus Christ and all that God's made and all the shamefulness of sin. And yet, God the Father can legitimately bring you and I as sinners in the presence of these angels, in the presence of Holy God, and say, these are my brothers. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus. A beautiful illustration is given in the Old Testament. Joseph's brothers treated him wrong in every way. They hated him. They scorned him. They opposed him. And finally sold him into Egypt for the price of a slave. They completely turned their backs on him. Yet after, when they had repented, Joseph was not ashamed to call them brethren. Even though every shepherd was abomination to the Egyptian, Joseph took them in the very presence of Pharaoh himself and presented them before the throne and they were accepted by him because of Joseph, not because of them. His brethren was, uh, you go study the shepherds to the Egyptians with abomination. In other words, they didn't eat with him. They did not have him in their presence. They had to be put off. But Joseph brought his brethren in the very presence of the king. And presenting him said, he was not ashamed of them. He said, these are my brethren. And that's exactly what Jesus does for you and I. We look at the Lord's people today and all of their frailties and feebleness. But the Lord looks beyond and sees the fulfillment of God's purpose. Therefore, he calls us brethren and confesses us openly and joyfully before the great congregation in heaven. I, I preach a lot of funerals, and one of the joys that I like to tell in preaching any funeral is 
that this person, if they're saved at all, that, that I'm standing there preaching about, is saved by God's grace. They're a trophy of God's grace. Not of what they have been. And I have preached a lot of funerals and, and I've had people that literally come up to me afterwards and say, well, evidently you didn't know that guy. And what they were saying is, he was mean. And I had said good things about him. By the way, what's he used to say bad things about somebody after they did? <laughs> and so the whole thing is, uh, in reality, you say the good thing, and somebody will come up and say, you didn't know that guy. He was mean, or you didn't know her. She was mean. Uh, but uh, when you think about that, I always say, well, they're a trophy of God's grace. And one day, Jesus will bring them up and present to the unsaved congregation out there that He's going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you in the lake of fire forever and ever. He's going to present that glorious person that we say He was terrible. Yeah, in our eyes, but in the eyes of God, He's saved by God's grace. Now, He's a trophy of God's grace. He's not ashamed of Him. He's, he's, he's in Christ Jesus. At the same time then, uh, true of the human race at Bethlehem Jesus put on humanity in order to become near kin to the whole human race without which we could not be redeemed therefore Jesus accepted flesh and blood he accepted flesh and blood so that he could uh, do what we could never do now notice also why he accosted he accosted Satan and destroyed him. Verse 14. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You see, if Jesus had not died, he couldn't have rose again. And the, the glorious truth is the resurrection of Christ is the victory over death. And so if Jesus had never rose from the death, we'd all die and go to the ground. That's it. So would it. There'd be no power over death. But Satan has the power over death. We say sometimes that different things kill people. In reality, though, Satan and sin causes death. But the, the victory over death, that Jesus has done died, and He rose again, therefore we're made alive in Christ Jesus. Verse 14 says that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And so, uh, again, he accosted Satan in the roaring lion as Calvary, and like Samson, rented him asunder, bringing all power to nothing, his power. Satan is a defeated and disarmed foe. That's the reason that we look at the world today, and I heard a great preacher one time say, you know what's wrong with the world today? The world today is Satan is busy. You know why he's so busy today? Because he knows he hasn't, he hasn't got long. He knows he's defeated in Christ Jesus. And his power of death. Now notice again, we're reconciled through Christ. Now we begin in verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of anger, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, now because of that, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest and things could attain to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For him that he himself has suffered, being tempted, 
he is able to score them that are tempted. Now, Christ's sympathy is shown in reconciliation. Reconciliation is because he understands our nature. From his own human experience, in verse 16, he went through the sufferings. Now, notice the next thing uh, that he understands our nature. Verse 17 and 18, he understands our needs. We need someone to intercede for us compassionately, and Jesus is merciful. Therefore, Jesus is faithful. Jesus can take care of our needs in God's presence. Jesus understands our needs in an experimental way. In verse 18, for in in that he himself suffered. Jesus understands our needs. Now notice what it says. Jesus has experienced temptation. He knows what it's like. And that's the kind of sympathy Savior we have. The wonderful truth to me is I stand amazed every day of my life that I have a high priest in heaven right now that intercedes for me. You better remember this. Every day of your life, saved or unsaved, the devil goes before the throne of God and accuses you. He accuses you of every little detail you make to the Holy God. And we would lose if it was not for our lawyer. They stand there and intercede for us. And the wonderful part about that, that he knows our frailties. We're not capable of fighting the devil. And I tell people all the time, you better not try to fight the devil in yourself. You'll always lose. Every time. I, I plead the blood of Christ on everything I do against the devil. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we'll understand how wonderful as we go through this book of Hebrews, how wonderful our salvation really is. We could never save ourselves. We're sinners, lost and undone. We have no power against the devil. We have no power against death. We have no power against angels and principalities. But we have one it has, and that's our brethren, Christ Jesus. And he has all power. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.